talk about worship. Uh, please turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. As we continue to talk about worship tonight, we're going to look back at one of the first instances of worship in the Bible in Genesis chapter 4. And as we contrast the worship here in in Genesis 4, we're looking at the worship of Cain and Abel. And as we contrast the worship of Cain and Abel, please ask yourself throughout this, this study, am I a worshiper like Cain or a worshiper like Abel? Am I a Cain worshiper or an Abel worshiper? Genesis 4, verses 1 through 5 read, Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. This is the first recorded offering, the first recorded act of worship in the Bible. And there's a problem. Cain Cain brought an offering to God, and he was rejected. So the question tonight is, why was Abel's offering accepted by God and Cain's offering rejected? So let's take a closer look at that tonight. Adam and Eve have two sons. First is Cain. The second is Abel. Verse 2 tells us that Abel, the younger brother, was a keeper of the sheep. He was a shepherd. Cain, the firstborn, was a worker of the ground, just like Adam. And several times in Genesis, we see Adam is described as working the ground. Genesis 2.15 and 3.23, he was put in the Garden of Eden to work it. And now in Genesis 4, verse 3, in the course of time, some some time has passed. It's safe to assume that Cain and Abel are, are no longer children. They are working Abel's a shepherd, and Cain was a farmer. They could have been teenagers. They could have been older. We're not told. But it's also safe to assume that this is not the first offering that they have given. We see in verses 3 and 4, we see that Cain and Abel both brought offerings to the Lord. But notice, notice the difference between the two. Verse 3, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. We don't know what fruit of the ground Cain brought. It could Could have been tomatoes, cucumbers, could have been strawberries, bananas. Could have been asparagus. It's probably probably asparagus. I would have rejected asparagus too. But verse 4 tells us, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Abel brings the firstborn and of their fat portions. Now in in our diet culture, many don't like to hear about fatty meat. They think, oh, that was yuck. But this was considered the good stuff. He brought his best to the Lord. And we see in verses 4 and 5, And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. They, they both bring offerings. Abel's ex- is accepted and Cain's is rejected. And the problem does not appear to be, as, as some have said, that Cain didn't bring a blood sacrifice to deal with his sin. Deuteronomy 26 and other places in the Old Testament give commands regarding the giving of, of first fruits to the Lord. An offering to him. 
So it doesn't appear to be a problem with the kind of offering, but rather the problem appears to be the difference in the quality of their offerings. Abel, it says, brought the firstborn of of his flock and of their fat portions, whereas Cain, it says, brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. Now the clear distinction is that Abel brought the first and the best of his flock, but Cain just brought some veggies. He brought some fruit of the ground, not, not the first, not the best. And we see throughout the Old Testament in Exodus 30, uh, 23 and, verse, and uh, chapter 13 where God said the first fruits and firstborn were reserved for him. We're not given details, but what is clear that what Cain did not bring, that Cain did not bring what God required. He did not bring what was acceptable. Cain brought an offering to worship God, but on his terms, what Cain wanted to bring. And God required a better offering, at least a different offering than what Cain offered. So when Cain and his offering are rejected by God, what happens? Do we see Cain say, oh, I'm sorry, I I got that wrong. Let me me turn around, let me repent, and let me change and bring you the right offering that, that I know you want. No, he's, in fact, it says he has a chance for a redo. That's clear. Look at verses 6 and 7 in uh, chapter 4. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Remember, God never asks people questions because he doesn't know the answer. God always asks people questions to get them to think through the answer to the question that he's asking them. So God asked him, why is he upset? As if to say, you know what kind of offering I want, and you chose not to bring it. You can still bring the right offering and be accepted. And God continues by giving Cain a warning. Look at at verse 7 again. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you or is toward you, but you must rule over it. It's interesting to see the same language used in chapter 3, verse 16 of the curses of sin effect on, on women, that your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. But we see in verse 5, Cain is very angry. His, his whole countenance falls, and he doesn't repent. And he stays angry that God would not accept the worship that he wanted to offer. And so we see the distinct contrast of Abel's worship and Cain's worship, and that Cain worshipers want to worship God on on their terms, offering what they want to, but Abel worshipers want to worship God on God's terms, offering what God requires. And we see the contrast of worshipers like Abel and worshipers like Cain elsewhere throughout the Bible and today. Because people are born to worship. Everyone, everywhere, worships someone or something. Who or what they worship controls the kind of worship that they offer. We see in 1 Kings 18, the well-known passage of Elijah versus the the prophets of Baal. Elijah Elijah worships the one true God. The prophets of of Baal are worshipers also, but what do they do to worship their God? It, It says in verse 28 of 1 Kings 18, they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with, with swords and lances until blood gushed out upon them. The worshipers of Baal yelled and screamed and cut themselves with blood gushing everywhere. If you can picture the the scene, it must have been absolute chaos. 
in an effort to appease and manipulate their God, Baal, to do what they wanted. You say, wow, that's, that's absolute craziness, right? It's nice to know that Christians don't relate to God that way. Or do Christians sometimes relate to God that way? Why do we do what we do? I'm afraid that if that question were answered by everyone who ever comes through the doors of Faith Baptist Church each year, we might be surprised. Why do we come to church? Why do some only come on Christmas and Easter? Why do some people only go to church on Sunday morning? Why do we give money in the offering? Why that amount? Why do we serve in Awana or VBS or the nursery or choir? I'm, af- I'm afraid that for some the answer might be, well, that's, that's what God requires us to do. And if, if I don't do what God requires, he might do something bad to me or my family or if I don't go to church at least on Sunday morning, I might get sick. Or if I, if I don't give money in the offering, God might take my job away or, or give me a flat tire tomorrow. I'm afraid that some people try to appease God because they, they only know him as a judge just waiting to throw the gavel at them if they don't do what he says. For others, the struggle might be to manipulate God. One might think, well, if I give extra money to this missions project, maybe God will give me that job promotion that I've been wanting. Or, or if I'm really good and I serve God in this way, then maybe God will answer my prayer request. And that's really what's at the heart of every person who's trying to work their way to heaven. They're, they're trying to manipulate God into letting them into heaven by doing good works. And it really is critical for us as parents, especially us fathers, to teach our children the truth about why we serve God and worship him. The truth about why we worship God the way we do. I mean, how many dads have, have been asked questions like, do I have to go to church on Sunday night? And Billy down the street asked me to go swimming, or, or the Eagles game is on tonight, and I'd rather worship them tonight. How our children worship and live after they leave our homes is highly influenced by the understanding of God that we give them. If we teach them God is a judge waiting to smack them every time they disobey, they'll relate to God as that judge. If we teach them God is someone we appease by going to church, by giving money, by doing good things, if we teach them God is a God we can manipulate by doing this or doing that for a church, we need to teach them the reason why we worship God with our time, why we give 10 or, or more percent of money to the church, why we don't spend money on certain luxuries that we otherwise could have, why we love our neighbors, why we sacrifice and do the things that we do. It's because our God is worthy of those things. He's worthy of our time. He's worthy of our money. Because like it or not, we make statements about who or what we think is worthy all the time. And our children watch, and our children learn more than we can possibly know about us. If you just ask them. 
always surprised by what children observe and pick up and notice, whether it's children here in the school or our own son. It's amazing. We buy a, a new, you might go buy a new phone or a gadget and come home and say, it was on sales, only $700. Can you believe it? What a great deal that was. Hey, Dad, I, can I go to the youth group activity? It's, it's $20. Can I go? $20? What do you think, money grows on trees? Or we go to a nice dinner with friends and family and spend $50 or maybe $100 these days. And there, but there's a special offering at church that night, and, and usually our, our wives are more sensitive to this, and a wife might say, hey, I've got a $20 bill in my purse, and, and the husband says, well, don't you have a 5 it can be so easy to fall in the trap of being Cain-like worshipers, trying to worship God our way, on our terms. We're able worshipers, worship God how he wants to be worshipped because he's worthy. Cain worshipers worship God how they want to on their terms. But notice also, when Cain doesn't worship God as he wants to be worshipped, God not only rejects the offering, but he rejects Cain as well. Verse 5 says, But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. God ties the worshiper and his offering together and accepts and rejects them both. Again, we're not given the details of what Cain brought, exactly why it wasn't acceptable to God, but it was clear to Cain he wouldn't repent and he wouldn't change his offering. And because of Cain's heart, Cain and his offering were both rejected. And we see this truth elsewhere in the Bible. In Isaiah 1, the people of God in the land of Judah were far from pleasing God. And yet they tried to continue to give him offerings and, and worship. And God wanted nothing to do with it. It said in, in chapter 1, verse 10, he calls them, you rulers of Sodom, you people of Gomorrah. He says, what, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt ro- offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or of goats. And later in verse 15, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. God wanted to have nothing to do with the Israelites, the, uh, their worship, because of the way that they were living. It was so wicked. Again, in Malachi 1, when God's people were living far from him and did not worship him as he wanted, it said, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? He says in verse 10 of Malachi 1, I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Proverbs twenty-one twenty-seven says, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it in divisiveness? Jesus says a similar truth in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 23 and 24. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. 
God does not separate our offerings from who we are. But we can be so easily fooled by people who come to church. We can dress nice. We can act nice. We can worship nice. But God is never fooled. And the Bible makes it clear we, we can't live fleshly all week, talk like the world, watch things like the world watches, and then treat our wives wrong or treat our husbands wrong and expect that God's going to be impressed and want to accept our worship. Cain worshipers try to separate their lives from their worship, whereas able worshipers worship God with their lives. And lastly tonight, we see in Genesis 4 that there are serious consequences of being a Cain worshiper. Serious consequence, consequences of being a worshiper like Cain. Verses 7 through 12 of Genesis 4 say, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And Cain spoke to, his, his, to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain kind of playing fun, playing joke that Abel was a, a shepherd. He was a keeper of the sheep. He said, I'm not, a, I'm not a shepherd of my brother. Am I my brother's shepherd? It's in the same language. The Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no, no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. We see that worship has a vertical dimension as well as a horizontal dimension. When we rightly hold God as worthy and worship him, it overflows into how we relate and treat all those around us. And likewise, the opposite is also true. When we don't rightly worship the Lord, it overflows into how we mistreat and relate wrongly to others. Cain didn't worship God because his heart was far from God. And what comes out of, how, out of his broken relationship with God is his anger, not only towards God, but towards his brother Abel. And Cain follows his sinful nature and kills his brother Abel. And then God curses Cain, says, the ground that you've worked for so hard and gotten so much fruit from will no longer give its strength to you. You'll be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And all because Cain refused to give God the worship he deserved. Cain wanted to worship God on Cain's terms, not God's. And so we see that God is serious about his worship because we were created to worship God. But who decides how we should worship God? Well, just like the garden, God decides what is acceptable worship today. We see too many people in the Bible who learned that the hard way. Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus 10 who offered strange fire before the Lord and were killed. King Saul in 1 Samuel 13 offered, offers a sacrifice when he wasn't supposed to and so God removed the kingdom from him. 
Uzzah in 2 Samuel 6 reached out his hand, trying to be, we think, we read that, and we think, oh, he's trying to help. He's trying to keep the ark of the Lord from tipping over because they weren't using God's method to transport. He reaches out and touches it when he wasn't supposed to, and God kills him. King Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26 burns incense on the altar instead of the priest. God gives him leprosy for the rest of his life. Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5, they lied about their offering to God, and they were killed. How we worship matters to God. And there's much in the Bible about how we should worship him today. Ephesians 5 talks all about how we should worship him at church and at home. 2 Corinthians 8 says that the believers, Corinthian believers first gave themselves. And again, Romans 12, 1 and 2 commands, commands us to give our bodies as a living sacrifice. Our whole lives should be a living sacrifice and worship to God. God is serious about his, his worship. And as we heard in the, in the video clip earlier, our worship is about so much more than our music. Worship is about our entire lives. Worship is about our entire lives now and for all eternity. We see glimpses of that in the book of Revelation. Revelation 4, verse 11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Revelation 5, 9, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And again in 5.12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. You see it over and over again, right? The theme is worthy, 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 worthy is the Lord. And that's exactly what people should see our lives proclaiming by how we love our spouse, how we treat our children, how we love our neighbors, how we treat our coworkers, how we come to God, how we come to church, when we come to church, our, everything that encompasses our lives should show that Christ is worthy. If you would please join me in standing, we'll pray and ask God to help us do just that with our lives. Father, as we will do for all of eternity, we proclaim tonight that you, you are worthy. And we confess that it is so, so easy to say those words, and yet sometimes very difficult to live those words. And so we simply ask for your help, that you would, you would help us remember on a daily basis how worthy you are of all that we have, all that we are, so that our lives day in and day out, on, on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and, and on Sunday, our lives would proclaim how worthy you are, O oh Lord. So I pray that you would help bring those thoughts, remembers to our mind, that you might be honored and glorified in all that we do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.